This episode was brought to you by our Patreon supporters, longtime supporters like Greg and Pearl Morgan, Amy Swan, Greg Bench, Joe Robertson, and Dan George, and new patrons like Kate Lamb, Andred, and Carl Davis are the people who make this podcast possible. Stick around for an extended shout out at the end. Now on to the episode. Welcome to another episode of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. I am your co-host, the father, a.k.a. Pastor Matt, and I am joined, as always, by my trusty sidekick, Jackson the Sun, and as we're recording, it's the day after Thanksgiving, and what a better way to continue riding that wave of thankfulness and good cheer than by talking about this depressing nihilistic tragedy. (laughs) Oh, well, folks, we are a spoiler podcast. We do spoil the movies that we discuss, so you are forewarned, and... What we're doing on this episode is covering the 10th anniversary. Here's what I was thinking. It is the holiday season. Mm. Holidays about family, right? Right. Well, this is a family film. <laughs> it is by the vaguest definition. Right. Yeah, okay, film. I'll take it. I'll Hereditary take it. is also a family film. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so what we're covering is Sinister, the 10th anniversary of Sinister from 2012. And the IMDb um, synopsis reads, A controversial true crime writer finds a box of Super 8 home movies in his new home, revealing that the murder case he is currently researching could be the work of an unknown serial killer whose legacy dates back to the 1960s. Um... Okay, that kind of omits a few things, like he intentionally moved into a murder house. Right, right. uh, And doesn't tell his family about it. Yeah. So that's, uh, you know, um, omitting a few things there, but... uh, But so is he, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. Ethan Hawke's character is also omitting that. Yes, so... All righty. When did you first see Sinister? I don't know. It's it's been a few years. Um, I remember, you know, watching it, not thinking much of it originally, and then, you know, hearing about this reappraisal of it later on, um, especially with Derrickson's work in, in recent years. Um, it's like, oh, did you know that the director of, of Doctor Strange actually made this this horror film in 2012? And it's, it's pretty good. It's kind of elevated. And I was like, oh, okay. So, you know, rewatching it for this episode, I was pleasantly surprised in some aspects, but I also think that uh, there are some some aspects of the film that could have been improved, maybe some missed potential, which I'm excited to talk about, but um, still a really, a really great viewing experience, and I can definitely see why Scott Derrickson has, you know, made his way into a lot of people's favorite horror directors just by merit of the two big ones. Yeah, this um, and Black Phone. We won't discuss right. Deliver Us from Evil, but... Um, we don't need to talk about that one, but, um, yeah, I saw this in the theater in the weekend it dropped Mm. and, um, I remember being genuinely creeped out by it. And so I'm looking forward to discuss this. So let's jump in. So the plot, as we've discussed, you know, Ethan Hawke plays a true crime writer, apparently a failed novelist who turned into a true crime writer Mm -hmm. and, uh, He's written uh, one, apparently, number one New York Times bestseller, Kentucky Blood. (laughs) Um, And a couple of those books haven't been as well. So he's investigating a crime um, where a family was hung together. And but one of the family members disappeared. Uh, The the, the little girl, right, has disappeared. Yeah. 
And so he moves his family, as we said, unwittingly, they don't know this, into the same house to investigate. And he finds, you know, which we can talk about that. Um, this is this is something I want to talk about. He finds a bunch of Super 8 film uh, in the attic depicting these crimes. Mm-hmm. He does not turn them over to the law enforcement. Right. Um, he doesn't seem to wonder where they came from. Yeah. Because you know, I worked as a prosecutor for a year, and I've also done criminal defense work. Not a lot of it, but I've done some. Um, when a family is hung in their backyard, there's not a single thing in that house that's not gone over by the police. Right. So how did it get there? Well, I think the implication, and he does ponder it a little, a especially little. after after. I think like, I would have been pondering it a lot. <laughs> right. So he he goes through the box originally, and then comes back and finds that there's another tape in it, and mm-hmm. he's like, "So you came back?" And instead of thinking that's the time to move move out, when the killer, the suspected serial killer, has come back to add another tape to his attic, that's not when you move out. You you move out later. Um, but but yeah. So it it is. It is a little odd. I think it's it's implied that it's supernatural, right? We oh we're, yeah, we're it's more than implied, podcast. right? Because when he you know, we're a spoiler podcast, so when he moves back to his old house, right. the super eights are there after he burned them, right? So I guess the implication is that Bagul has uh, either possessed the young child to put the super eight tapes up there, or has done it himself through. Whatever well, he destroyed means. them, so he had to revive them, and right. So, but I. That that's the one thing I remember thinking about this film when I first saw it and rewatching it. Just finished rewatching it twenty minutes ago. Mm-hmm. You know, he and he, Ethan Hawke's character. You know, he's got a adversarial relationship with a sheriff, who we'll talk about in a minute because I, the actor playing the sheriff, I know or knew mm-hmm. he passed away unfortunately. Um, but he has this, and he calls him so lovingly, Deputy So and So, right. Um, deputy he doesn't have a real name in the credits, just deputy. Wow. Did, I don't think he ever they ever like really reveal his name. Wow. Yeah. Um so deputy so and so who has a degree in criminology. Right. Um he knows some stuff. He's not you know, he's not a dummy. He's kind of a fanboy. Mm. Um he never reveals that he has these films to him. That I remember. Yeah. Well, I you know, it's 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 one of those things where Ethan Hawke's character Ellison uh, this crime writer has kind of a a disdain for police, not only because he thinks that they made the wrong call in the Kentucky, the Kentucky Blood case, which he wrote about in his book. Right. He also thinks that you know since they've they've that move that book has come out and uh, it kind of gave the Kentucky Blood Police Department uh, <laughs> a bad name that cops have been treating him poorly ever since then because you know it's like he doesn't have respect for the profession. So it's it's kind of a give and take type thing where he doesn't like them because he doesn't he doesn't like right. their methodology. He thinks he's more thorough than they are, and they don't like him because he wrote poorly about them in in Kentucky blood. But you, you know what? There, I, I Even as a prosecutor, I had a few police officers that didn't like me. But if I found, you know, evidence that a serial killer is crawling up into my attic right. and storing, you know, evidence, I think I'd get over it. Right. Well, it's his it's his hub- his hubris, right? I mean, he's he wants to have this book that breaks this this story. And he feels like if he gives it to the cops 
you know what I mean? He's not going to have that exclusive or that they're going to do it wrong, you know, or they're not going to let him have this evidence anymore. And he really is chasing that. He is an interesting character, I think. He's very different than his character in The Black Phone. Um, oh, still, yes. still not, I would say, a good guy, but he's he's much different. Well, he's um, complicated, right? Because he's he does appear to be a caring husband and father. Yeah, to to an extent. To an extent. Yeah. Um, he, yeah, he, he, he wants in the short term, what's good for his, his kids. And he justifies, you know, uh, his pursuit of this, this, uh, story as I'll, I'll be able to provide for my family more, you know, we'll be able to live the rest of our lives, you know, happily. Oh yeah. He's but, talking about, he's talking about a movie deal and all, cause he thinks he's uncovered right. what, what eventually kind of hints at is not just, not so much a serial killer, but maybe a cult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So he's. He he says that it's all for the good of the case and that these people's stories need to be told and that his family, you know, deserves to to profit off this. But what he really wants is the the attention, the fame. You know, he was he watches news clips of him being interviewed on live TV after Kentucky Blood, and he misses that. He misses the limelight being on him. So he thinks that this case could put him back into the spotlight. Um, you know, he says several times that as a writer he couldn't bring himself to write textbooks. You know what I mean? There's money in that, but he wants to have, he wants not only the creative freedom of being a, an, an author uh, of, of these, these crime uh, novels, but he also wants the attention and the limelight. So he is a kind of a complicated character with what he tells other people and who he actually is. You know, we see he's right. a totally different person with deputy, deputy so-and-so than he is with the sheriff, than he is with his wife, than he is with his kids. Um, so it, he wears a lot of masks, ironically enough, in reference to the black phone. His character is constantly a different person to, to, to whoever he's encountering based on what he wants. Right. Um, so he's, you know, he's manipulating deputy so-and-so. He's manipulating his wife and his kids. Um, and it's just really interesting because he's not so evil that we want him to die. But he's also one of those characters where we're like, what are you doing, dude? You know what I mean? It's like, right. I understand where he's coming from, uh, but, you know, it's he really needs that angel on his shoulder. Yeah, well, or just, you know, someone with some sanity, you know, I mean, yeah. and Deputy So-and-so does tell him. He was like, you know, I wouldn't spend a night in this house, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, he's just, that just leads it that that to me, I don't, and I don't know what you do with that. Maybe you don't have a movie if he does just turn it over, and I, I and yeah, they do set it up to where yeah, he's he's hesitant to really have any interaction with the police unless they can help him in some way. Right, right. The thus the you know the reason for the friendship with deputy so and so. So you know that that that's always bothered me a little bit. But what did you think about the screenplay overall? Well, I think the screenplay has a great setup. I think that's its strongest uh, thing. It's, it's it's intriguing, right? The first two acts were like, what is going on? Yeah. Even if we've seen it already, you may not remember exactly how it goes. So um, it is, it's incredibly intriguing. It has a great setup. Um, I think, honestly, just, you know, from the first two acts, it has even more potential than something like the Black Phone does, um, where it's like, you have really have no idea where this is going. Um, mm-hmm. But... Unfortunately, I think for the screenplay, and perhaps it was a, a budget thing, perhaps it was, you know, just that the modern horror trends were pointing this way with like Insidious and The Conjuring. 
I find that it doesn't deliver fully on its potential. I think that the payoff Whoa. of the things it's setting up aren't as good as the, as the setup is. Um, and, you know, like we said, this is a spoiler podcast. The, the eventual reveal of Bagul um, and how he functions and uh, how he has been functioning for supposedly thousands of years I don't think is as interesting as the setup would imply, you know, and I think it's, I think it's overly complicated and I don't think it's that interesting. I don't think it's that scary. I think the ideas that it suggests are scarier than what we actually see on screen, um, which is, which is unfortunate. But before I get into that, I just want to say, I do love the writing of Ellison as a character. That's Ethan Hawke. Um, I love the, the setup of, you know, this intrigue of what is going on because the idea that that he's seeing these uh, this footage not through something more contemporary like uh, like a mini VHS or whatever that he's seeing it on Super Eight, right? Super Eight film is just scary inherently. I feel like I and remember, I read that they Derrickson actually shot that footage on Super Eight. That's not it, distorted. Yeah, you can tell it doesn't it doesn't look like a digital. Oftentimes, whenever I see that, like trying to make something digital look like it was shot on film, I I'm not so sure how effective that is because you can you can tell it's like a plug-in the noise plug-in on top of it mm-hmm. but you can tell that it's just the richness of the film but also yeah super eight is just scary like even a birthday party before even before the the scary parts of the super eight films are revealed it is eerie just by the the nature of of the film quality i remember being scared by the eight millimeter zombie movie within a movie in 2011 super eight the jj abrams movie yep you remember oh. I was terrified, yep. not of the giant alien in Super 8, not no. of the peril. I was scared of the the amateur Super 8 zombie film that the kids are filming when oh, they encounter Oh, trust me. Yeah, I took you to see that, and I heard about it from your mother for many yeah. days. Um, you were because eight years old, and you were freaked out, and you had a nightmare. It's, it's gritty, right? Just Super 8's like, nature is that it's gritty, and it's so real. You know what I mean? It, it, yep. it just... It feels like the actual scene, the actual light from the scene just being captured. It, it's just really weird. It's like a snapshot in time. And when you are uh, recording these heinous events happening, these these really disgusting murders who, by the way, we later find out are committed by children who are the ones holding the camera. Right. It's the, not the there's weapons. not a killer. There are killers. There's. The, if, if if there's a few people out there who haven't seen that, I, I'd never understand why people listen to spoiler podcasts of movies they haven't seen, you sure. know, but they do it. And so, um, I mean, I'm Lord, guilty I, of it. I, are guilty you guilty of it? Of it? Okay. I, yeah. I, the other day, I literally on, on, you asked me how my Thanksgiving was before we started recording. I've been sick. And so I went to my in-laws for about an hour, hour and a half. And I came home and li- laid down and I was looking had football on in the background and mute. And I was looking for a podcast and I saw all oh, uh, how did this get made covered rhinestone? Well, I haven't seen rhinestone in 30 years. So there I go. I go to YouTube and watch rhinestone before I listen to the podcast. Um, <laughs> and, and so, and, and by the way, I'm not recommending that rhinestone is a horrible movie, but. Thus um, it being on how did this get made? <clears throat> right. Yeah, thus it's on how did this get made? Yeah. Now, sometimes they have awesome movies on there like Cobra. Um, but yeah. Yeah, if you haven't seen this, so okay, so we find out, and we have um, Deputy So and So puts Ethan Hawke's character in touch with a professor who specializes. He's a criminology professor, and his specialty is occult crimes, right? Mm-hmm. And he identifies the symbols and so forth of all the images he sends him 
as belonging to an ancient pagan deity called Bagul. Yeah. Who the kids just call, I think, Boog- Mr. Boogie. Mr. Boogie, yeah, yeah. which is, th- those drawings of Mr. Boogie are just terrifying. This idea that they're like, oh, there's nothing wrong with this guy. He's fun and cheery. Oh. And then we actually see Bagul. Yeah, and so he's a pagan deity who, if people are exposed to his symbols, his images, so forth, they're open to being possessed by him, especially children, are especially vulnerable. And so we find out through this, the extended cut, I love that, when he finds the Super 8 in his in his old house. They're the much ex- better that way, aren't they? Yes. The extended <laughs> cuts are that uh, Bagul has been possessing children who are murdering their own families. Right? Yeah. In pretty yeah. horrific ways. Yeah. Which is, I, you know, I'm trying to put myself back in the, the, the headspace of when I first saw it. Because knowing that going in, the reveal doesn't hit you nearly as hard. And I think the execution of the child acting is a little... You know, I, I love, like I said, I love the setup, but that eventual reveal of them, like, doing the little, shh, they're, like, putting their finger over yeah. their mouth in the film, I just, that doesn't, doesn't really work for me. The kids with the mascara on their face doesn't really scare me that much. And honestly, neither now, does I will, Bagul. I, well, Bagul does kind of creep me out. I, I'll disagree with you to an extent. Now, there is that one scene. The projector keeps flipping on at, like, 3.30 in the morning, which is a kind of a, a kind of a tip of the hat to Amityville Horror, I think. Yeah. And and to Seinfeld, uh, I was watching a Seinfeld episode the other day where Elaine has that dream where uh, you know all her friends are in the bed with her, and then she wakes up to her neighbor's alarm at three thirty. Yeah, um, I'd forgotten about that one. But um, yeah. so the one scene where the spirits of the kids are kind of running around the house behind Ethan Hawke that didn't yeah. that 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 did strike me as kind of goofy. I didn't. I didn't really care for that. But it forecasts the black phone, right, with the the dead kids, yeah, in corporeal form. But it's I, that. That's but that's the only scene that didn't work for me. I other than mm. that, I found it really creepy. And I, the Super Eight scenes are, are what this movie is really known for, right? Yeah. And and they are creepy. I mean, whether it's the hanging or the lawnmower or the pool or the car on fire, that stuff is creepy to me. Yeah. And what's your favorite? By the mine would have to be the pool. That idea of yes. just slowly drowning taped oh. to that thing is, is terrifying. Well, I think it'd be more horrific to be burned alive. However, that being said, it, the pool scene is shot really well, which I have some trivia on that. Um, those were, you know, they, they had all kinds of problems pulling that off. I'd imagine. Yeah. Like, without actually killing the actor. Yes. The actor who played Bagul had to wear weights. Uh, around his shoes to keep him on the bottom of the pool, and he had to be down yeah. there and hold his breath for like a, you know, for uh, minutes at a time. So it was it was very difficult. But the hanging scene, which is creepy and is played many times, the hanging scene, the first stunt coordinator was fired because when they tried it, and those were all stunt people. None of them were they weren't children up there. They were all stunt people, right? But they were actually being hung. He didn't do the didn't do the rig right. Ugh. And so they were actually like struggling for breath and 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 being choked out. And so Scott Derrickson fired the first stunt coordinator for yeah. screwing that up. Yeah, um, yeah, probably wise. But no, I think they're all creepy. No, I agree. The pool scene when they just start slowly pulling one family member after another into the water is really creepy. Yeah, that is creepy. Yeah, it's and and you know it's it's excellent sound design too. I think that adds to it. Those whole scenes where. 
where uh, you know even when first Ethan Hawke puts that reel onto the projector and it's just very like quiet. The house is too quiet, yep. and then we have nothing but the the sound of the film going through the projector. Um, it's it's just that, and, and that's Ethan hard. Hawke's, that's hard to pull off, right? It is, yeah, especially. And you know, one of my complaints with the movie uh, is, frankly, that the the jump scares are a little. I think they're they're a little contrived, but um, the I think the restraint shown in the Super Eight scenes is is really fantastic. When we see a scary thing happening, there's not a except for the the lawnmower thing, which I think works. Uh, with like the pool scene, for instance, or the the car scene. When we see the scary stuff happening, it's eerily silent, and all we can hear is Ethan Hawke shifting uncomfortably in his chair. That's right. all we hear. That and the projector. So that just really, really and occasionally adds to it. his his ice from his whiskey. Yeah, yeah, and he's you can drinking just, heavily at this point because that that puts you in his shoes and allows that shiver to go down your spine. You know what I mean? Right. If there was in that scene where these pulling people into the pool. If when dad goes splat into the pool and it went boom, you know what I mean? Or yeah. when we see Bagul like standing at the bottom of the deep end, if it went done, you know what I mean? It yeah. would have really undersold the the scare. Um, I mean, just just think about the scariest stuff in, in, in movies. Think about the shining blood elevator. You know, right. it's like that silence is what sells it yeah. um, because we have nowhere to run. There's nothing to hide from whenever there's a jump scare with a loud noise. And we talked about smile on our last bonus episode, not fully, just we briefly discussed it. Right. I loved that movie, but I think that the, the jump scares were kind of undersold by the loud sound because then we can go, oh, I was just scared by the sound. It wasn't the actual disturbing content that scared me. You know, we have that to laugh about. Right. But when you don't give the audience that, they have nowhere to run, you know, their eyes can't go anywhere in the frame. That is genius filmmaking, I think. That's 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 Yeah, I, I I I think I like this movie a lot more than you. And I think I like the screenplay a lot more than you. And and Derrickson tweaked a number of things. Sure. And I think he rightly he, he so you know, this was written by Robert Cargill, who's a famous, you know, he's written a lot of horror stuff. Mm -hmm. Um and his original in the script, his, his original description of Bagul was like a Willy Wonka, like Johnny mm. Depp from the Willy Wonka remake. Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah. And so uh, Derrickson threw that out. I was like, no, that's goofy. And they came up with the Bagul mask and so forth, which I, I, th I think works. I, I'm not the biggest fan of Bagul. I think... He kind of looks like a member of Slipknot. Uh, let's, he does. Okay, he does. Let's let's think about. Okay, so I mean, the the whole idea of a long to line be fair of families, to Scott Derrickson, he was raised in a pretty strict Christian home, so he may not know who Slipknot was. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, he's had to have heard psychosocial on college radio or whatever. But but the the idea of this long line of families, you know, finding images of the murders and becoming infected by a bagul until their child kills them and poses for the Super 8 camera with the lips over it. You know, that's an interesting idea. I don't think it delivers fully on the intrigue that the first two acts establish. I'm just not a, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the look of Bagul. Like I said, it looks like a member of Slipknot. He's supposed to be an ancient pagan god. Right. It's just, and, and ending with the final jump scare of him leaning into the side of the camera like he already had 15 minutes earlier, I think it just devalues him as a villain. He's not, like if he had been less of a hmm. tangible humanoid and maybe more like cosmic or Lovecraftian in nature... Like if the, that's you know, hard if, to pull off though. To be fair, I mean, there's a, is, there's a reason not. why even Lovecraft was like he wouldn't describe the creature. Like you read Lovecraft, and he's like it cannot be described. It's so hideous, and he was doing that on purpose. 
Right, but let's let's think about like, you know, if we had just seen bits and pieces of Bagul, like where he's most effective, he's in the shadows, he's in the pool, you know what I mean? When we have him do those two jump scares where he does the same exact thing, by the way, I'm not entirely sure it's not the same shot, the same asset is flipped of him leaning into the side of the camera and scaring us. It just really doesn't work for me when we actually see him in the flesh, you know, holding the little girl at the end, leaning in for a jump scare. Mm-hmm. I think that if he had been more implied, like we had seen bits and pieces of him, like like um, Pazuzu, you know what I mean? If he had been more that kind of, right. of villain. And, you know, if the ghost children hadn't been covered in mascara, I just don't, I, I don't get that. I think if more attention had been paid to exploring the ideas rather than the, its cheap jump scare potential... It's it's high concept to a certain extent until that concept is neutered. I think for jump scares, I, I will agree with you on the second one. The first one I do think is was effective. I saw this in the theater and people jumped. Sure, people jumped. It's a jump scare, yeah, uh, so and it it's allowed. That means it worked, right? It's a loud noise accompanied with him leaning in from the side, but he does it twice in 10 minutes, and I just don't think it's well set up. What's the, what, what is the setup for that jump scare? You know what I mean? It's not like, ooh, you know, something creepy is happening over mm-hmm. here, and then, oh, here he comes. It's more like loud noise, and he's in the frame. You know what I mean? It's uh, maybe it, not as offensive as, like, Annabelle, uh, but I, I just think that it's, it's devalued a, a little. It's better than a, the cat scare, um, but... It I, is better than the cat scare. It's better than the the rock against the window scare. Yeah. But I I just think it's 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 cheapened, and I I'm not p- placing blame on Cargill or Derrickson. That's I think that's just the style. You know, they had this high concept idea, but they also had to deliver this to a wide audience. So they had to put in those tangible jump scares. I just wish honestly that this had been it it had been a little bit more psychological rather than than what we get i mean i you know you talked about that slow motion high frame rate scene where the kids ghost kids are running around and oh ethan hawk almost sees him but then he turns his head the wrong way you know that kind of yeah thing. that i that i don't like but i yeah i'm not you know and the second i agree with you they didn't need the second jump scare necessarily that they were probably thinking they won't expect it again after we did it once but it's the carry thing i get it i just don't think that it's it's like do something different with the jump. It's the same jump scare. He leans in from the side of the camera. It happens twice. I just don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like this more than you did. Now, we are all about science here. Mm. And in 2020, Forbes magazine conducted a study. Mm-hmm. Science of Scare Project. Yeah. Where the heart rate of the viewers were monitored while they watched a number of horror films. Mm. Out of 35 films, this movie won, having the highest average heart rate at 86, spiking at 131 BPM. Mm. Thus, has often been deemed the scariest movie ever made. <laughs> okay. That's science, sure. buddy. That's science. That is science, yes. That reminds me of those uh, early paranormal activity promotional things where we have the night vision of the people in the theater spilling their popcorn on themselves. Uh, well, but to be fair, I also saw paranormal theater, uh, paranormal activity in the theater, and people were freaking out. True, not to not to to bash paranormal activity. I think that first one was inventive, um, but that that kind of that idea of the more you are scared, like the more you your heart rate spikes, or or the more nervous you are, is how you measure a good movie or how scary it is. I'm not so sure that's that's true. I mean, think about the scariest stories, you know, the scariest urban legends. 
it's not about the the big boo. You know what I mean? Uh, that might be the case with me tai toady walk or you know the head dropping down the thing. <laughs> but but the things that get us the most are the ones where we we think about them later and we're trying to fall asleep at night and we can't you know stop because the concept is so creepy. Um, that's why I referenced uh, Lovecraft earlier because he's not about the the uh, the tangible evil. It's more about the concepts that keep you up at night, the things that make you go like, you know. And this movie touches on that, that a little bit—the nihilism, right? It's like, you know, if you, it's 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 also like scary because if your kids can kill you, you know, who can who can you tr- who can you trust if you can't trust your own your own children? If some evil can corrupt them right. and cause them to uh, do these these heinous acts, and then it reminds, it brings to mind real life stories of the the Slender Man thing of these children being corrupted by this idea of Slender Man and deciding to do this this horrible thing. Thankfully, in that case, this is died. a much better movie than the Slender Man movie. Well, anyway, not but... not not the Slender Man movie. I'm talking yeah. about the real life. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Case. But, but well, those yeah, but. but I I like this a lot more than you. I I think that I think it does pay off, mm-hmm. even though you know it's no shock when the deputy calls and says you've sped up the timeline, right? And we know as soon as we see the daughter staring at you know what was her name Sarah or whatever you know mm-hmm. the the missing daughter and she's been. You know, somehow the parents have missed that she's painting hangings on her wall. Yeah, um, I don't know how. Yeah, and 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 when Ethan Hawke comes in, you know, originally she's already started painting. It's already pretty scary. There's like rain and like children and like a crying unicorn, and he's just like, "Oh, it must be you know the move that's making her so dep- the six year old so depressed." And it's like, okay, maybe we should look into that. You know, say like, yeah, that's that's even if there's nothing supernatural going on, that's when you call a child psychologist. But anyway, exactly, yeah, yeah. But I and your and your son is having night terrors and possibly hurting himself in the night. Like this is when you need family counseling. I feel yeah. like, yeah, it's. But I still think that I think it works. I think it. I like the payoff, even if it's a little predictable. I do like how they handle Derrickson. You know, with the ending, um, not not the very last minute where you know he Bagul carries off the little girl into the into the frame. I love how they don't show the girl killing the family; they show her doing the drawing of the killing she's just done. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is no, that is that is. I wonder if that would also come down to to a rating thing. I think oh, if sure. we have a little kid actually chopping off Ethan Hawke's head, it could be a little. Well, according like, to the trivia, Derrickson was actually hoping for a PG thirteen. Yeah, I don't think he was ever going to get that with the children in peril thing. That's why he got an R. Yeah, it was the con. Yeah. It was content, but there's hardly any profanity. There's no nudity. There's very little gore. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I th- yeah, it comes down to to the children in peril, and and maybe Ethan Hawke had one too many glasses of whiskey. Maybe, uh, yeah. but can you blame him? Really? And he smoked a cigarette, which we you know oh, no. know how verboten that is. So yeah. Well, all right. So we disagree on that. You you apparently just don't think the third act paid off based on the first two. Is that what you're saying? Not as much. Uh, you know, I think it's it's still effective as a a. Um, like if it was uh, Insidious Three, you know that kind of thing, I'd be like, oh, "That's a pretty, pretty solid final act." It, it was grim, and I'll, I'll get into that later. I, I've got a pros and cons list, uh, you know, to justify okay. my my rating later. But 
Uh, yeah, I, I will say I just think that the setup was better than the payoff. All I think right, that the setup right. was 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 verging on greatness, whereas the the payoff was just good. Okay, I well, okay. Let's talk about uh, Mr. Derrickson. Are you a fan? I am a fan. Yes, I am a fan of Derrickson. Uh, you know, I I I didn't even realize when we went to go see the Black Phone. I didn't even realize that he was uh, the Doctor Strange that he had done Marvel. Right. Um, but and and you can't really I mean, you can't really even see that in the black phone. It still feels like he's this, uh, you know, very in touch with horror audiences, low budget horror audiences. So I'm glad to see that the big time didn't change him. But uh, yeah, I am a fan of him. You know, I, I, I like his hallmarks, which I was wondering what you think his hallmarks are as a director. For me, I think it would be like the grungy film look dysfunctional family and adults underestimating children and ghost kids, I guess. But yeah, the- I, I like what he did with Dr. Strange. Um, I also like the exorcism of Emily Rose. Yeah, definitely. Um, Deliver us from evil is the only one I remember not loving. It was fine. I, from what I remember, and this yeah, is, I don't remember much about it, which I, I think that I watched, uh, that with sinister around the same time um so that might that you know i don't don't know when that would be but i remember back then not thinking that they were that much different in quality of course now rewatching sinister i realize that it's probably probably a little bit uh more interesting yeah but um but i think that i mean you touched on the use of super eight so forth i think now it's a little dark and i don't just mean dark in tone it's it's dimly lit. I know what you mean. Yeah, it's it's hard to see. I mean, you you pretty much have to watch this in the pitch black for a lot of the scenes of Ethan Hawke walking around the house. Yeah, and so I, I you know I have that against it, but other than that, I think it's I think he did a good job. I think it's well made. Yeah, I think it's it's competently competently made. Um, like I said, you know, I I think that with the trends that it had to follow to reach a wide audience, and I I understand this is relatively successful i mean it got a sequel yep um which did no this uh, was, was not this, received as well if i remember correctly i'll double check i mean this had a budget of only three million dollars yeah and i'm sure most of that went to the cast yeah because and it's just really that one setting for most of the films so they, they were very efficient with what they had we don't see a whole lot uh there's not a lot of big effect shots or anything but but like i said those first two acts set up terror in the same way an urban legend does uh like i love that that skype call with like you said that the criminologist this occult expert um vincent, just those ideas. vincent dionfrio gomer pile from full metal jacket right and it which is fantastic i love those scenes um just you know talking or you know the scene with deputy so-and-so uh when they're in the living room talking and mm-hmm. and the cracks start to show a little bit with ethan hawk you know this cool demeanor he's just yeah displayed to the deputy starts to crack a little bit as even he can't keep back this this thing that he's witnessed this uh these 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 ghosts and and these these supernatural occurrences um but but yeah i think that the the scenes where people are just talking about these ideas and and speculating are so much more interesting than when we actually have ghost children and bagul um or the, uh, the long see, I, I i would disagree there but i i hear what you're saying and now now yeah the ghost children not so much but bagul i, I do think is creepy but yeah i think we both agree however because it sounds like we're gonna move into the cast 
we both agree that Derrickson is a good director. It doesn't mean everything he touches is going to turn to gold. I mean, Spielberg made Hook, right? Right. Um, but, you know, it's but it sounds like we both agree that he's a good director. He's incredibly talented, especially, I think, with adapting scripts, as we said. I mean, he he worked on this script with Cargill. Uh, he worked with Cargill to adapt to the Black Phone as well. Right. Um, so he definitely knows what can be done with his budget uh, and what will be effective. I mean, I think that Cargill, when he wrote Sinister, was thinking more budget-wise. Like, what if we have him be Willy Wonka? You know, that kind of thing. And it's like, he was like, okay, we can do this with the budget, uh, we can. We, this will be more effective. You know, he's good at that. Um, I think with this and with the black phone and with the exorcism of Emily Rose, he knows how to use limited locations and really utilize the space and the characters to their fullest extent. Um, and yeah, so he's definitely a very talented director. I was nervous, you know, obviously uh, looking back on it, I'm, I'm nervous, but now relieved that uh, he wasn't just one of those talented directors that showed promise and then was given the keys to the kingdom with a big budget Hollywood thing and then just kind of was chewed up by the system. I'm, I'm relieved that that didn't happen to him, that he's still, you know, both him and Ethan Hawke are still doing horror movies. Um, and good ones too. Yeah, and to Ethan Hawke's credit, so we can go ahead and move into the cast. Like I said, I think Robert Cargill did a good job with the script. We, I think yeah. we both agree the dialogue's not bad. I yeah, I think the dialogue for the most part is fantastic. I I have a few problems with uh, with Tracy, his wife. I think that um, she's a little, maybe a little underwritten, uh, except in that argument scene. I think that argument scene is really natural. Yeah, but I just I'm just not a, a big fan of of Juliet Rylance in this movie. I don't think to any fault of her own, she did what she what she could with the material. But um, I don't know her from that much. I was I looking don't either. At, I don't yeah, either. I was looking at her IMDb page, and I was trying to see if I've seen any of this other than Sinister. I don't think I've seen anything else she's been in. Mm-mm. But now I'll agree with you there. She's a little underwritten. She's I think she's a good actress. And, you know, she's not given a lot to work with. But this is really Ethan Hawke's film. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is. And And I think he does a good job. Even Roger Ebert, Mm -hmm. which gave this movie a he gave this movie a positive review. Folks always say he hated horror. He gave this three out of four stars um, and he praised Ethan Hawke's performance. Yeah. I mean, I'm 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 so I love Ethan Hawke. Um, You know, he's he was this child star. Uh, that that went on to he's he's just got this real love of movies he's not just doing it as a job you know obviously this was a low budget wasn't he in explorers which is a movie I, when you were when you were little you liked a lot i love explorers i know that joe dante was uh pretty much kicked in the balls with that yes. movie yes, they, they really screwed him on that yep um and you know they wouldn't let him do any reshoots or edit or anything else they just summarily dismissed it. him yeah. From the and the new studio head was not a fan of Mr. Dante's, and when he was fired from that, Gremlins had not yet come out. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure that Joe Dante, <laughs> when Gremlins came out, was a huge, massive success. Yeah, he may Joe Dante may or may not have allegedly driven around the studio with his middle fingers up. But yeah. anyway, <laughs> nah, nah, the boo boo. <laughs> yeah, but no, it's no. I I love Ethan Hawke, and I think he's great in this. Yeah, and I mean, we've seen I've seen interviews of him, and the way he talks about about movies is just like he's so enthusiastic about it. And obviously, this is a low budget movie, limited locations, limited cast, but he still gives a hundred percent in this movie. Yep. 
and uh yeah he's just fantastic i think i I agree with he gave an interview recently i think i've talked about it with you he's he was asked you know about doing horror movies it's like you 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 know you've done dead poet society and you you've done broadway and you've done why would you do the black phone and sinister and he goes because i like horror movies he looks i like all kinds of movies i like action movies i like comedies he said i want to do all of them yeah good for him yeah yeah, good for him, and he's he's fantastic, and and most everything I've seen, um, and it's 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 also you know it would have been so easy. You you read like um the the plot summary, and you're like okay, and you you watch the trailer, which by the way, you know, 2012 horror trailers. I'm so glad we moved away from that. Maybe not. We maybe we honestly haven't. Now that I'm thinking about it, horror trailers are so often terrible um, because they don't communicate the the mood of the movie. They communicate mm-hmm. the mood of, of a trailer, um, but. Yeah, it would have been so easy for him to be like, okay, I'm a main character in this jump scare movie. I'm just going to phone it in. I'm Ethan Hawke. You know what I mean? And I'm in Sinister, this this $3 million movie. But he gives his all in this. Uh, and, I, and I'm so glad that obviously he's got to have a level of respect for Derrickson as a director um, to, to trust the process and, and come back all these years later. Um, I, I think that, you know, uh, Sinister being reappraised definitely helped with that. Um, but he could see the potential in it and he gives us all, I mean, his, like we said, he feels very natural in the movie. He feels real. We can understand his motivations. We right. may not support him fully, but we understand who he is as a person. And he feels like just that a person. It's not just, he does. Hawk, it's a lie. fully fledged character. Yeah. A complicated character, but a fully fledged character. And it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's not two dimensional. His, this is a three dimensional character and he mm-hmm. brings it to life. Well, yeah. Um, you know, and even in you know, we talked about when we talked about the black phone on a bonus episode, we talked about how good he was in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just yeah, he brings it. So the sheriff. Yeah. Uh, not the deputy, not deputy so and so, but the sheriff, the older mm-hmm. gentleman, Fred Dalton Thompson. Um, anybody who's watched any movies from the late eighties, early nineties will recognize him. Yeah. Um. He was a Watergate lawyer. Mm. Um, he worked for the House Judiciary Committee. Then he was a lawyer in private practice, and he did some entertainment law. And people kept talking about what a great presence he had. So he moved into acting. He was in No Way Out with Kevin Costner and Gene Hackman. He was in Days of Thunder with Tom Cruise. He was in, if Joel's listening, he was in Die Hard 2, <laughs> Die Harder. He was the air traffic control chief. Yeah. And then in 1994, he was elected to the U.S. Senate from Tennessee. And so he had left uh, the Senate by this time where he does this role. Um, And unfortunately, he would die shortly thereafter from cancer. But I knew Fred Dalton Thompson um, because I worked on Capitol Hill when he was there. My favorite interaction with him was you probably too young to remember who this is. There's a country music artist named Lori Morgan. Mm-mm, I don't even know the name. Um, th- let's put it this way. Here's how you would appreciate her. Mm-hmm. Think of the blonde version of Shania Twain. Okay. Does that help you? Yeah. So it was less about the music and more about the image. Than... She was a, she was and is a very attractive woman. Right. And Lori Morgan accompanied Fred Dalton Thompson to a fundraiser one night where I was at. And so he walks in with her and everybody's head is turning because everybody's like, Senator Thompson's with Lori Morgan, you know, <laughs> and 
So she went off to the quote unquote powder room and I was standing there with Senator Thompson, then Senator Thompson, with my roommate Lincoln Hobbs, who was a lobbyist. And we both looked at him as soon as she left and went, well done, sir. Well done. <laughs> and he just started laughing. So that's my Fred Thompson story. So I just want to drop that. I'm, I, I, I will humble brag. I don't care. <laughs> I, I will name drop. Um, so Fred Thompson as the sheriff. I, 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 he doesn't he's not given much. I'm sure he was just there for a day. Yeah. Don't you think? Don't you think him and Vincent D'Onfrio, the professor, were just there for a day? It, like, it here. seems like it. He has those two. He has two scenes with Ethan Hawke. One, one in the day when they first move in, and then one when they're moving out. Um, and he's excellent in both. I mean, he's got a good back and forth with Ethan Hawke. But yeah, this the, that this was definitely shot in a day. I mean, you have all the actors in both those scenes. So right. Um, yeah, definitely seems like like shot in a day. But a fantastic job from yeah him and D'Onfrio. I, I think that, again, for the whole cast, this could have just been a phone-in, you know, low-budget horror movie, but they all give it their all. I think that they, you know, really read the script and been into it, um, because yeah. it is, and and it, that's something that, that I respect most, I think, about about actors, is when they, they recognize a good project when they read it. You know, it's not just yeah. a job for them. Well, and yeah, also, we, we need to bring up, I mean, I think the kid actors did fine, but James Ransone mm -hmm. as um, Deputy So-and-So, yeah, who was also in the Black Phone, yeah, and so apparently they get along. Um, also, most people, will, most horror fans will know him as Eddie from, the adult Eddie from It Chapter 2. Yeah. Yeah, he's fantastic in, in both those things. Um, I was going to say, yeah, the guy, he plays Max, uh, the conspiracy theorist, uh, coke-snorting guy in the black phone. And uh, he's fantastic in that as well as this. Because we get the wrong impression of him, I think, in both movies. Um, in this movie, when we're first introduced to him, you know, he's, you know, like, oh, uh, Mr. Ellison, would you please sign my, uh, my, 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 would you please sign K Kentucky Blood? And, right. and he's like, any way I can help you, I want to be in the acknowledgments of your next book. Right. But then later we find out that, you know, he, once he's, he's gotten over his, his starstruck, uh, ness, he, he starts to put pieces together and he's not this, this dumb hick like Ethan Hawke originally thinks he is. He actually does have something to to add. No, he, he basically at the end cracks the case. I mean, he in some ways cracks the case. He does, yeah, with what little he's given by Ethan Hawke because he's not kept in the loop. Yeah, yeah. If deputy to... so and so and the professor could get together, they would have figured it all out. Exactly. Yeah, and that just shows you again the the flaws of Ethan Hawke's character. If he had realized that he could crack this case and get his book. Uh, by bringing these great minds together, right, and and brainstorming with all three of them, you know. But then it it you know it's it's he wants it all to himself. I think is is the idea. But yeah, it's too late when Deputy So and So finally tells him the news. Um, you know, Ethan Hawke has already been drugged, and uh, with whatever that that liquid, that green bagul liquid. Yeah, whatever that is. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what in the that dark. is. Either. Yeah, because they say uh -uh. earlier on that uh, the the poison used to incapacitate them so the children could do the crimes was unidentified. So it's some weird primordial. Yeah, ooze. it looks like radiator fluid is what it looks like. But yeah, you don't yeah. really know what it is. But yeah, I think I think it's it's yeah it's it's Bagul's uh, hot sauce. I think is what it is. It's just it's too hot. They they just uh, they pass out. I think is 
is the implication, you know. Well, anyway, James Ransone, <laughs> I'm a fan. I, I don't know. I have no answers for you. But James <laughs> Ransone, I'm a fan. He, he, it Chapter 2, my favorite line in that movie, he utters about the uh, uh, the mullet. Yeah. When he's just gotten stabbed. <laughs> Get rid of the mullet. It's not the 80s anymore or whatever yeah. it is. It's just, I love that line. and Which uh, is more mullet. relevant now than ever. Because yes. the mullet have come back. Oh, mm-hmm. no. We don't need that. Yeah. Not the ape drape, not the Kentucky <laughs> waterfall, not the achy breaky bad mistakey. We don't need that. Um, but anyway, I, that's pretty much the cast, small cast, right? But which is what you would expect for a three million dollar movie, right? Small but effective. They all have. There's no no nobody character. You know what I mean? There's yeah. every one of them has a role uh, in the thing. Not a lot of extras. Not a lot of uh, fluff characters, but. But yeah, I mean that just gives uh, every every actor enough room to flesh out their character and feel like a real person. You know, you talked about the child actors; they they do a good job with what they're given. Um, you know, you got the 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 rebellious uh, son who listens to metal music and is like whatever, you know, that kind of guy, yeah. but actually has these night terrors. Um, he's, it, it seems to me like maybe he's covering up, he's compensating for, you know, being traumatized by these past crime photos. Night um, terrors, by the way, are terrifying. I had a yeah. buddy who had them Yeah, and we were at a church event mm. and all of us, all of us guys were sleeping in this, um, high school classroom because mm-hmm. we were down in down in the, uh, depths of Appalachia repairing homes for free and, and this one night, like at like two or three o'clock in the morning, here screaming and all this other kind of stuff. I'm like, what in the world? And the youth minister flips on the light and he was hanging from the ceiling. He had somehow gotten into the ceiling. Mm. And that's a it's real and it's terrifying. But no, I think the kid does a does a good job. Mm-hmm. He's got a heck of a head of hair on him. He's uh, yeah. you know, it's a shame that his sister takes him out because he's he was he was ready to go all metal bassist. He you was know. for real, yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, I love that when they're moving back into their old house. He's he's listening to metal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and you know, I think Ashley, played by Claire Foley, uh, does a pretty solid job as the creepy, the innocent turned creepy kid. Um, you know, like I said, I'm not that big a fan of that payoff, but um, you know, see, I, I like the payoff. We won't go back over, but I, like I said, the drawing and stuff, I liked that. I liked, I saw where it was going, but I liked the way they handled it. If that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it subverts your expectations a little with the pacing yeah. of it because we get that cool false victory uh, where they move away, and it seems yeah. like you know everything's fine. Uh, and that's 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 when when Bagul strikes. But yeah, I I, I just uh, I I think that it had an admirable first two acts and an okay, very watchable third act. Um, but but yeah, I'll, I'll I'll I've I've got a whole a whole diatribe written about uh, my my pros and cons with the movie, All how right. I would do it. Well, let's 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 talk about what else. What other notes do you have? And we'll get to that. Sure. You know, I think that you touched on uh, that there's a lot of really dark scenes. I think that, you know, him wandering through the the, the dark house, is it's, a little bit of that could have been cut, but it is effective, you know, just hearing the house settle and all these light creaking. Watching this with headphones on was really effective, I think, because the sound design is pretty good. Mm. It, Ethan Hawke's performance is great. Look at the film as you know really gritty i like that it's got the perfect look for a low budget movie i think it looks professional but also gritty like 
in that house, the the black values are really low, like even during the daytime scenes where when he's in his office, it looks like night no matter what time of day it is. It does, you know, because, yeah, it, it does. But I, you know what? I, I don't know how I feel about that. I, I'm kind of a fan of the kind of Dean Cundy backlit, kind of like Halloween. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I just think it's, you know, when it's that much darkness, I, I, I don't know. It just, it, it kind of annoys me, to be honest. Yeah, I, I just I do like the look of the daytime scenes. I, th- I like the grittiness of it, that film look. Um, it definitely brings to mind stuff like Texas Chainsaw, um, where it's just like the frame feels dirty. You know what I mean? It's just like no matter no matter where you are, even when they're outside during the day and Ethan Hawke is talking to the sheriff, you know, it feels foreboding. So I like that. I wish that more movies would go for that look. Like if you have a low budget, don't go for the cheap digital look. Give it, give it some kind of stylized look to it, um, because anybody can pick up a DSLR these days. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, everything just looks so flat. That's a problem I have with um, the Conjuring. Not necessarily just the Conjuring, but that style of movie is a lot of those look very flat digital, and then the jump scares don't really work because it just looks like an asset. So you're you're, you're a fan of like when Quentin Tarantino shoots in seventy millimeter and stuff like that. Oh yeah, of course. And I know that that uh, film is cost prohibitive. I'm not going to say oh, shoot yeah. your first feature on film. You're not going to shoot a Blumhouse movie for that. No, no, no. With, but uh, you with can seventy at least millimeter. Yeah. Do something to dirty up your frame or stylize it in some way. Use a LUT that makes your uh your your shot look more interesting i'm so tired of that of movies looking like music videos. what we talked about when we when we talked about x yeah x looks like it was shot in the 70s yeah yeah i mean that first opening sequence i was like am i watching the right movie this feels like texas wait, Chainsaw. Wait, which by the way have you seen pearl i have not seen pearl i'm planning on watching it tonight wow because yeah. you know it's set it, it, even though here's the weird thing it's set in 1918 yeah it should have been said, in my opinion, in the late 30s, mm-hmm. because he does the he flips it. It looks like the Wizard of Oz mm. with cinematography. I mean, it's gorgeous. It's absolutely yeah. gorgeous. So you're going to have fun watching it, I think. So yeah. anyway. And, and I heard that you liked it maybe even more than X. It seems like you really... I think I might. I think I need to rewatch it again at some point. But no, I... I really liked Pearl a lot. And yeah. so, yeah, I was I ordered it on Blu-ray and then Amazon informed me there was going to be a two month delay. Hmm. And I'm like, we got a top 10 show. We got it. So I just went ahead and bought a digital version from Amazon. So you and I both could watch it. So, yeah, definitely looking forward to that. So I've seen the theater. I've seen a few clips from it. I've seen that uncomfortable stare. Yeah, uh, if you know what I'm talking about. Yes, and I've yes. seen, of course, I've seen I'm a star. That's yes. become a meme. Um, yeah, but I think you're going to like it a lot. But so what other notes do you have about here? I I agree with you. But I like we said that the like what he did with the Super 8, I thought was just fantastic. Yeah, I will. You know, I'll give the movie, you know, two more positives, I would say, before I get into my final review of it. All right. The score is fantastic. I love the Mm -hmm. sound of it. It's very Trent Reznor. You know what I mean? It's very, very. uh, industrial but also uh retro and it's just got a really cool sound to it it's not conventional you know there's yeah, no strings robert cargill is credited as saying that, that i mean they had i think it was christopher young who did the score yeah but then he and christopher young also found like two like indie bands that had some instrumentals they thought were cool and so they licensed those as well yeah and it really works i mean it does and and we talked about 
you know, the creepiest parts of this movie are when, you know, the, there's just nothing but the sound of the projector and Ethan Hawke shifting uncomfortably. But that industrial score adds, it has that same feel to it, where it's not like, it, it doesn't feel like the movie telling you how to feel with the swelling string or, you know, right. the staccato hit of the whole symphony. Right. It, it really just feels like this ambience. This, it's like, a, it's like this, this uh, resonance that makes you feel uncomfortable. Like, a lot like the, um, the uh, Lords of Salem uh, song. Oh, you know, good. That, yeah, good comparison. That yeah. John 5 song yeah, is so that's a good creepy. Comparison. Um, just with because it's it's it is musical, but it's it's really abstract and and you don't you can't really like get a hold on. Which it. we need to cover that at some point as well because even if you're not a Rob Zombie fan, Lords of Salem is a good movie. Definitely, yeah, that's gotten a reappraisal too. I feel like recently with people, you know, there are people who wrote it off like, oh, it's just a dumb Rob Zombie movie. But there there's some interesting it ideas. It in is one. nothing like any other Rob Zombie movie. There it is not hillbillyish. Yeah. It's not every other word is not the F word. It's not that. It is a very different movie. But mm-hmm. I didn't know, but score wise, I think you're right. I think it's a good comparison here. Yeah. And you know, one final thing I will say, I referenced this in my intro. The ending of this movie is grim. It's really grim and it's yes. risky too, right? We've spent the entire yeah. movie with Ethan Hawke, and then to just have him uh him uh, split limb from limb by his own daughter with an axe. The um, whole family. I mean, a seven-year-old girl just basically, yeah. you know, slaughtered um, her father, mother, and older brother. Yeah, yeah. And we say older brother, but not that much older. He's like what eleven. So it's it's really like it is it is disturbing. And I I will always give credit. Um, you know, I wonder what what Joel would think. You know, seeing as his uh, if he thinks that it was justified, unlike the mist, if if he thinks that the the daughter killing the whole family was justified, but um, <laughs> spoiler alert for the mist. Yeah, well, everybody's seen the mist. Who hasn't seen the mist at this point? You'd I guess we shocked. also we also spoiled the mist in our Hitcher episode, so. That's true. Uh, that's not new territory. We did, us. but I, I give Joel crap about that all the time. <laughs> yeah, uh, but. All right. What other notes? Any other notes before we get into your pros and cons? Because I hear it is. Yeah, I, I think I can just. I think I'm ready to sum it up and defend myself. I think a little bit. All right, go for it. Because you, I'm telling you, you give this thing a low review, you're gonna you're gonna take some crap. Brian <laughs> this Scott's, is my Brian Scott's gonna be sending you some messages, buddy. Yeah, this is my this my. It's not gonna be my new uh, uh, night of the demon. I don't think it's going to be that far. Oh, Pearl's never going to forgive you for that. I but know, go ahead. I know. But, you know, I just, the worst, we've talked about this before. The most disappointing thing in films is where you think it's got a lot of great potential uh, and it just doesn't quite live up to that. I think that Sinister has a lot of great ideas, but it resorts to genre cliches that it, it could have easily avoided, I feel like, with the, because Derrickson and Cargill demonstrate craft and mastery and all the other areas but there are just a few moments where i feel like it resorts to those 2012 supernatural horror cliches where it could have avoided that it's just it is a little disappointing like i said score is fantastic ethan hawk we've been gushing about him the whole episode but he really is fantastic in this movie you know the look of the film is, is great the setup in the screenplay is great you know the the false victory and then the grim ending is really great 
but you know the extended sequences of Ethan Hawke wandering through the dark house, waiting for Bagul to creep the floorboards. I will agree with you on that. Yes, it, it I could have done without that. It makes a lot of the film's actual horror content less scary than the ideas it sets up. This is one that's more effective in your mind. I feel like. Do you know what I mean? The, what I was thinking when I was rewatching it today was, yeah. Okay, so you know he gets up with the bat. The projector's going off. He had locked the door. He doesn't understand what's going on. He goes in. I think if he'd gone in, shut the projector off, and you just saw the little girl like run by behind him real quick. Yeah. I think that's all you needed for that scene. Mm-hmm. Done. Yeah. Because yeah, this is an hour and 50 minutes. You don't need it. This could have been This could have been an hour 40 minutes. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that scene where he goes up to the attic and falls through the roof, like that is, we get like 10 minutes of setup. Of him walking through the dark house with creaking. Yeah, we didn't need all of that. I agree. I understand what the idea is. The idea is that, like, the house is, like, settling under all the atrocities uh, that took place under, like, on the property. And that, you know, the ghost children are running around the house. We just can't see them yet. And that is interesting. I just think that that the the final payoff to those scenes and to the, the, the story in general... Uh, just doesn't live up to the intrigue that the first two yeah, acts Yeah, I just, I, I'm just not sure I agree with you there. I, I'm with you with the, with the ghost children with the mascara. I'm, I'm, I'm with you there, but I disagree with the rest of it. But so you would have, you would have just leaned more into the cult aspect and yeah. maybe less into the supernatural. You think that's creepier? Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, it's we, we, you keep the supernatural cosmic. You know what I mean? Not with ghost children running around. But uh, the supernatural comes with Bagul, but he's more hinted at. We see flashes of him, but never him picking up a kid and walking around with, uh, okay. with them. But right. Fair enough. I'm, I'm struggling to put this into words because it, it sets up so many interesting uh, we're ideas. We're going to get comments, so you go ahead on the Facebook it, group. We're going to get comments. <laughs> when it finally reveals, because it, so, it is convoluted, right? This idea that they've all lived in the previous house of the kill so is the implication that they've watched the super eight that every family has discovered yeah the super I, they've images? been they've been exposed to the images and they've been marked right so exposed so, so it's it like didn't the, matter if they stayed in that house or or, or okay. not no so matter like, what it's, it's a like little like rain. paranormal activity right in paranormal activity i mean katie featherstone's character is she's marked and it doesn't matter where she goes right so it's like it's, the it's like the ring yeah like like you you see these images of the, the of Bagul and his symbol. Yes. And, and, then, and in fact, I think that Robert Cargill said he actually wrote this screenplay after having a nightmare after watching The Ring. Sure. And that makes sense. But so it's like, okay, these families dating back, you know, possibly thousands of years, back to Babylonian times, right. uh, have been exposed to these either pictographs of Bagul or symbols, or even, you know, in more recent times, photographs and uh, video, um, which leads me to believe that eventually uh, Bagul will spread through a meme. He'll be an internet meme, and he'll be spread that way. <laughs> um, but it's, it, it just, it, it's like, okay, so it's, it's, it's complicated, but it's also not that smart, I feel like. I don't know. It's just like, it sets up these interesting ideas, and then the delivery is very... Um, uh, very 2012. Fa- yeah, to be fair, it's already an hour and 50 minutes. So, I mean, it's, you know, I, I don't know. And, and we, we've discussed, yeah, they could have cut 10 minutes, but then you're still an hour or 40. I'm not sure how more they could have fleshed it out without people snoring. Sure. But, but I hear what you're saying. So, all right. What other pros and cons do you have? Or is that it? 
I mean, I, I will say, you know, it's, it does, I mean, I think it did deserve a reappraisal. I've heard a lot of people write this off as, you know, one of my favorite YouTube channels is Red Letter Media. And I love Red Letter Media. They love a lot of bad horror movies, but they just, <laughs> they don't like Sinister. You know, whenever they really? see, whenever they see a, a long black haired character in a, villain in a horror movie are they, they just contrarians are they just like the bill shetty of i don't know i don't i don't think that's i mean they like a lot of um they have a show called best of the worst which is kind of like a how did this get made sort of thing okay but um that you know it's it's like and i do agree to a certain extent the bagul syndrome of this this long-haired character whether it's samara you know from the ring or right. the grudge or whatever it's just not, and now the new version of that is the naked well, old to, lady. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. But to be fair, it's harder to be scared of somebody who looks like they just got out of a Fantastic Sam's. Sure. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like I just got my eight dollar haircut. Uh, you yeah, know, you're not going to be scared of that, right? But let's think about like, okay, what what are the most, you know, what? Okay, think about uh, Ethan Hawke in the Black Phone, right? He's he's unassuming to the point where, uh, you know, he's creepy. He's creepy, but he's not like spooky uh, Halloween city man. You know what I mean? Like he's not. I don't know. I just hate that that they felt like they had to resort to these 2012 cliches of this long black haired jump scare Slipknot man when it could have been. Do you know what I mean? I'm 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 struggling to put my words yeah, together. I, I understand, like but that yeah, but I don't think for the average viewer they're thinking Slipknot. Um, we're metalheads, so we we get that. Maybe. But I yeah, I don't think like if I showed this to like my wife, which I wouldn't because she wouldn't sleep for a week. I mean, she she gets freaked out by Silence of the Lambs. So yeah, um, but if I showed her this, you know, I I think she would find it genuinely scary and i did i thought it was creepy i i thought it was i mean that so i i didn't mind it as much as you did so i think we're just going to agree to disagree on the third act but it sounds right. like you did you did really appreciate the first two acts i did i and I, I you know i still enjoyed watching the third act and i think that you know as is it, it's a pretty good slight slightly elevated it is slightly elevated it's not just what it is on its surface level um it's very 2012 i feel like very supernatural jump scare horror movie but it it has a lot of potential those first two acts are fantastic and even in the third act i think that it's obvious that cargill and derrickson know what they're doing and yeah. and they realize what they can do with their budget and their audience and i think that's admirable and i, I definitely uh, love that Derrickson made his way back to horror with the Black Phone. I hope that he continues uh, to do these these types of movies. And the same is true of, the, of Ethan Haw Ethan Hawke. You know, he was great in the Black Phone. He's great in this. I would love to see him do more stuff. Everybody's making their way back to horror. I mean, even Kevin Bacon. You know, <laughs> with They Slash Them, which I haven't yeah. seen yet. I don't have high hopes for it. But um, you know what? It's not. I, I will say this. I won't, I won't go any further and say it's not terrible and it is a slasher okay so he's you know even going back to slashers now from his friday the 13th mm -hmm. origin mm -hmm. so yeah i mean a that's, slasher that is, at a gay conversion camp yeah and that is interesting i mean i like the, the way the industry is heading i mean even you know again we reference smile 
It does have so, some trappings of, of 2020 horror movies, but it's also got some interesting ideas in there. I think that high concept is coming back. Right. Um, as well as a splatter film. I mean, say what you will about Terrifier 2. I know we did on our Patreon episode. Yeah. But uh, but it is indicative. For those listening, I liked Terrifier 2. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I did too. I gave it a positive rating, but um, it's indicative that there uh, is an audience for that. You gave it somewhat a positive rating, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you had issues with it. Sure, sure. But, okay. um, Send your hate mail too. No, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Send your hate mail to me through a direct message on Patreon when you sign up. There you go. $2.50 a month. There you go. Uh, but but yeah. So I, I would say, you know, I did like it and it was a great rewatch for me. Um, it was interesting. And I like movies where there is some missed potential that I th- can think about. Um, it's more interesting than a movie where you're like, yep, that pretty much was exactly what I thought it would be. And there's not much more they could have done with that. Right. So, yeah, I, I, I do think that's interesting. I think it is slightly elevated, even though I hate that terminology, but it's effective here. I think it's, it's, got, its, it's got its place. But, um, you know, I, 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 I liked it. I enjoyed it. I think that the Black Phone is an improvement, which I wanted to ask you about. I think, you know, I, depending on what your opinion of Sinister is, your rating is, where do you think that Derrickson improved or, or what do you think he lost when it came to the Black Phone? I well let me let me give my rating first. Sure. That that'll tell me a lot, I think. Okay. Um I rate sinister. I took a point away for what we talked about, the ghost kids with the mascara. I agree with you on that. Yeah. I, I thought that was a waste of time and, and and I thought it was a little too long for what it was trying to do. I I thought it did stick the landing, even though I did think the landing was predictable, but I think the cast is great. Sure. I give it nine out of 10. Wow. Yeah. And I can't even, I'm not even mad at that. Um, I'm going to go with a seven out of 10. Okay. Um, I think that, that's that, a positive review for you. You're pretty harsh raters. That's a positive review. Sure. Yeah. And, and you can see all, all my, despite all my issues, I enjoy talking about it and thinking about it. And mm-hmm. like I said earlier, the movies that are most effective for me are the ones that have something to think about after the movie's over. And I am thinking about that. I'm thinking about the setup to this movie and, and about Bagul and, and how you could utilize that. And honestly, you know, I haven't seen Sinister 2. It's not been as well received as the I original. haven't seen it either. Might We might have to see it because, you know, a lot of the things that I thought could have been elaborated on, maybe they do. And maybe the audience reaction is, is negative because... Uh, it isn't that it doesn't have those 2012 trappings, you know, of jump scares. Right. Some, some, some part of me doubts that. I think it's probably going to lean in more to those scary kids in the dark aspects of Sinister. But you never know. I think it's it's worth uh, uh, looking into. But um, yeah, so seven out of ten for me on on uh, Sinister. And I'm curious. I think that you gave the Black Phone a similar rating. So I'm wondering where you think. He lost things or where do you think he improved? I mean, it is an adaptation of a short story. So there is that difference there. Right. It's an adaptation of a short story. I need to see the black phone again. Yeah. Cause I've only seen it once. I've seen sinister. Now I've seen it twice all the way through. I've seen bits and pieces of it here and there. Sure. Um, but I, I need to see the black phone again to really come down. I think I gave the black phone an eight out of 10. Mm, okay. Um, so close, you yeah. know, and the black phone is definitely in contention for my top 10 of the year. So, um, and I think it could very well show up on our horror Oscars, especially Ethan Hawke's performance. Um, but I, I need to watch it again. Yeah. I would say 
for me. I think that Sinister has a effective setup and mediocre payoff, like I said, whereas the Black Phone is more consistent tonally. It delivers on its setup better, but I think Sinister has more intrigue and potential to begin with. You know, when, when we're in the Black Phone, once the main character is in the basement and he's discovered that the phone is haunted and that Ethan Hawke is crazy, you know, there's not a lot of mystery there. You know what I mean? It's like, we're right. there. With this movie, as it goes on, I mean, for the first even hour and even beyond that, I mean, we're discovering things right up until the last five minutes um, as with Ethan Hawke, you know, as he gets that final call from Deputy So-and-So. So, I mean, I, I, I think that that's a... a um, a, a really good thing to have in a movie is something that continually keeps you guessing. But I think the black phone delivered and was more consistent. Um, but uh, yeah, I just think that it's, it's not necessarily uh, better or worse. I think that it's different. Like we said, it's an adaptation. Uh, whereas this was, you know, it's, it's an original idea, which was edited by uh, Derrickson from Cargill, which by the mm-hmm. way, Cargill also adapted um, Joe Hill's story for, um, the black phone. I don't right. know if we mentioned that they work together again. So this is the trial. They worked together quite a few times. They worked together on Doctor Strange too. Yeah. So yeah. this is the tr- the but for for horror, this is the triumvirate, you know, of of Cargill, Derrickson, and Hawk. When these three get together, I think they really do. Uh, they really do achieve greatness to some extent. So seven out of ten. I I'll have to let you guys know what I think of Sinister Two when I watch it because I am interested to watch it. Um, I don't yeah, know I am too. About it. I mean, it's not high on my list, but I definitely will. Right now, I'm trying to squeeze in as much, you know, 2022 horror movies before our top 10 list here in right. six weeks. You know, I mean, so, um, but yeah, okay. So positive review from both of us. You just felt that the third act fell a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was fine. Um, so, folks, Jackson mentioned you can become a supporter over at Patreon, and you can patreon.com father and son watch horror movies and you can sign up for two dollars and fifty cents a month and all proceeds go to help jackson through film school an aspiring horror filmmaker and you can vote in our horror oscar poll starting next year and you can also be on the show suggest movies themes listen to bonus episodes all that kind of fun stuff and you can find more Father and Son Watch Horror Movies at fatherandsonwatchhorrormovies.com, at Twitter, at Father Son Horror. And we also have a closed Facebook group. Um, I get a lot of requests, but I have to do the Greg Amortis thing. I don't approve them unless you message me and tell me that basically you're not a bot. So I hate to pull an Elon Musk on you, <laughs> but uh, we don't want people selling Ray-Bans on there and all kinds of stuff. Um, so we were kind of picky about who we let on, on that closed group, but Twitter, you know, you can just follow us over there. Where can they find you, buddy? Well, you can find me, uh, on Twitter at Kane underscore hero 12. That's K A I N E underscore hero 12. Uh, you can find my letterbox and YouTube from there. Also on the father and son site, we have a new tab for a short. Yes. Uh, you can see ones, you know, I did when I was 15 and then 17 and I'm working, I'm in pre-pro on a short right now on a horror short right now awesome. so that'll be there you can see me at the at age 19 what i'm doing now with with horror so and your band 
and my band yeah it, it, it and the by the way the thing i'm on pre-pro right now is a horror music video for one of our mm. songs so that'll be you know a, worlds colliding as george costanza would say <laughs> um but yeah you can definitely check that out also check out the blog because you've written you have like 20 blog posts on there yep it ranges from like lists and uh and reviews and topics um so definitely check that out big big things coming to the father and so much horror <laughs> uh thing but if i can ever once i finish this degree that i'm doing i will start doing that again but yeah. um and you can follow me at uh, at pastor matt r over at twitter and letterboxd um that's what i basically use it's all letterboxd is all basically horror movies i usually don't review any other movies on there occasionally but not not usually and Twitter, I just basically use for podcasts. So that's where you can follow that stuff because Facebook is basically all for my church stuff and all kinds of other kind of nonsense. You know, you <laughs> probably don't want to mess with that. So you should you should tune in for the dog pictures, though. Yes, I do occasionally post pictures of my my wife's dogs. Yes. Um, so. What are we going to cover next? What do you think? Should we just throw this over to the Patreons or what do you think? We do that. We've got that. We're, we're thinking about having a few guests on to talk about a topic. Yes. Um, in general, uh, which will be a really good one. I'm, I'm expecting if we do that, it'll be, it might be a long one. It might be like our Tarantino thing because there's a lot to cover. And the two there guests is that we a have lined lot up. to cover. We are hoping to, hoping to do but we record you know either fridays or sundays or whatever and and um fridays a lot of people work that's why we don't have a guest on today sundays one of the guests we wanted to have on and said he would be on but he says i can't do sundays during football season because i watch football with my dad (laughs) every sunday yeah and 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 I, i respect that i respect that as well and he's a great guy of course we're talking about dave z over at uh, the Exploding Heads podcast and the Watt Z Horror Party and Jay of the Dead's new horror podcast to talk about slashers. We mm. want to do a, a thematic episode about slashers, what makes a slasher, what are our favorite slashers, all that kind of stuff. So we um, hopefully we'll make that happen soon. We A lot of people want to be on. We've got some specific guests we want on, but coordinating that, is, as you know, is interesting yeah, it doesn't sure like when well, we did halloween ends and we had four co-hosts on um that doesn't happen often just because people's schedules yeah yeah that and that was just a uh you know a happy accident that that yes. came together so well and we had we had bill uh butcher bill joining in and the the yep. 11th hour on that one uh, yep so yeah but that was that was really great we've got you know like i said i'm watching pearl today Uh, so that might be something to look into but i'll throw it over to the patrons uh so they can decide um because you know that slasher one's going to be a scheduling thing but we definitely we will we will do the slasher episode as soon as we (coughs) sorry i'm still recovering from covid (coughs) but we'll do that as soon as we can schedule it until then yeah just see what the patreon supporters think about what we need to cover in december yeah all right buddy well I think that about covers it. So you want to say goodbye to the good people? I do. And I want to say goodbye and remember to tune in for Scott Derrickson's next flick. He's done a movie about haunted Super 8 film and a haunted phone. I think the only place for him to go is a remake of Ghostbusters 2 with a haunted painting. Oh, gosh. We don't need Ghostbusters 2. All righty. Well, folks, thanks for listening. Please subscribe. Give us a, uh, a good rating. 
jump on over to Patreon. We appreciate it. And remember, the family that watches horror together slays together. See you next time. Once again, I want to thank our Patreon supporters, Trey Whetstone, Stefan Sitter, Amy Swan, Ryan Bratton, Greg and Pearl Morgan, Nick Stumpf, Kevin Corpy, Kate Lamp, Joel Robertson, Ian West, Ian Urza, Greg Russell, Greg Bench, Dave Becker, Dan George, Carl Davis, Brian Scott, Billy D, Ashley Pinkard, and Andred. Thank you guys so much for supporting the podcast. You're the best. Like I said before, you make this podcast possible. final exam coming up here in a week so yeah yeah we're, we're pretty much the same we pretty much got the same uh, level of stress with these yeah. exams yeah yeah and my my mind's pretty much the same as a phd you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> i hope not i wouldn't wish that on you